Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. This morning, we are continuing our series on the conversations with Jesus. Um, and this morning, I, I have a confession. If you are in small groups um, this week, what you will be studying is the conversation between Jesus and Pilate. And my intent was to preach a sermon on that. Um, and then I started studying it, and what happened was, um, all of a sudden, I'm preaching two chapters. Um, but I think it's for good reasons. As, as we go through, I, ho- I hope that you'll see it. Um, because this is one of, as I studied it, I had this, it was on Tuesday, I had this aha moment um, while talking to some other staff members where I don't even remember what we were talking about, but all of a sudden I went, oh, oh, and I had to go write stuff down because just all of a sudden, like, this passage and the, like, reality of what is happening and it just came crashing down on me and it was just like a Holy Spirit moment and I'm so excited to share that with you. And so today we're going to look at, uh, we, we've been in the book of John, and the, the last three weeks we've been in John chapters 13 through 17, where Jesus is actually, it's the last supper. It's where Jesus, he washes the disciples' feet, he talks to them, he gives them the command, to, uh, the, the new commandment, love each other the way I've loved you. He tells them, I'm leaving, and that's good for you. He promises them that the Holy Spirit's going to come. And, 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 and in the midst of all of that, he hands the ministry off to the disciples. We talked about this last week. He prays to the Father for the ministry the disciples are going to do after Jesus goes. And, and because of the ministry that Jesus handed off to his disciples, those 11 men passed it down to where we believe it today. And, and so we talked about that a lot last week and how we have eternal life because of what Jesus did and how he handed it off to be handed off over and over. And today we are going to look at Jesus' last day on earth starting right when that prayer ended. And so we're going to go through, it's kind of, I call this the moment of truth, and it's the moment where we see Jesus in action. And what we're actually going to look at today, um, we're going to look at ultimate motivations. And the word ultimate, um, I don't know what you associate with it. I, um, I love the game Ultimate Frisbee. Um, it is a hippie sport, and it is hilarious that they use the word ultimate in it because it's the ultimate, the, the, when you boil Frisbee down to one thing, it's ultimate frisbee but ultimate is a bad word there um ultimate means like when all is said and done the pinnacle the the point and so today we're going to look at what is our ultimate motivation and we're going to look at what are the ultimate motivations that the world has to offer and really how they fall short so we're going to look at all of that today where i i hope you'll really have fun with this because i this is one of those passages that i am just so i'm just like beaming i'm just ready to preach on it so let's pray Uh, Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how amazing it is, for how it speaks to us today. Um, And we thank you for your son, that in the beginning was the word, your son, and um, he became flesh and walked among us. We thank you that you sent him into the world that we could have eternal life. And I, I pray as we look at your word today that you would open our eyes to what you have to say, that your spirit would give us ears to hear. And we thank you so much for your desire that we could know you and have a relationship with you and your son. I pray that for all of us today, we would consider that and we would see your son's motivation and be inspired and challenged by it and that we would turn ourselves more and more fully to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So when Jesus had spoken these words, and again, that's the prayer from last week, John 17, He went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, 
where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. So a garden that was enclosed. It had walls around it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So the first thing to note here is that this garden they go to, Jesus knows that Judas is going to betray him. We see that in John 13. And so what does Jesus do? He goes right where Judas knows he will be. He doesn't go somewhere else. I mean, that would be a really easy solution for Jesus. You could say, you know what, let's not go to that garden. Let's just go somewhere else. But he doesn't do that. He goes to the predictable place so that what the Father has for him will carry out. And there's a really important word here. Um, It's a word in Greek, paradidomai, um, and it means delivered. Um, In our English translations, we say betrayed because he's being delivered, betrayed. It's kind of the same, but it's not really the same because Judas is the deliverer of Jesus first. And this word is going to be so important as we go. It's in your bulletins each time highlighted in this way. But Judas, who delivered him, goes out there. And, and so Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now, um, some commentators, the, the word for band of soldiers could refer to as many as a thousand. Um, we're not going to go that far. Um, it could, I guess it could have been a thousand men. It's more likely though, it, it would have been, they would have had at least 50. Um, because there's, 11, there's Jesus and 11 disciples there, and they would have had an, a big enough group to overpower them. And, and they have lanterns, torches, and weapons. And why is that? Well, well that's because they're, they're thinking it's the middle of the night. When, I, when we go to try and arrest him, he's going to take off running. And so we need to be prepared to go find him out here. And that's what they're prepared for. On top of that, there's a little interesting note um, in the Greek, the idea of a band of soldiers and officers from the chief priests, one would have been a, a Greek soldiers, one would have been Jewish soldiers. So there's even an idea in this that Judas was able and the, the priests were able to bring in Roman authority right from the start. But that's just a little hint in there. But so Jesus, knowing all that would happen, there's these armed men with lanterns coming to the garden. Um, he came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? So he's in a a garden enclosure, and he comes out to them and says, what are you here for? Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. The first person's motivation we're going to look at, the ultimate motivation of Judas was greed and gain. He's after wealth. Um, and, And what's really sad when you look deep at this, is that in the book of John, Judas is always portrayed in a very simple way, either as the betrayer or deliverer of Jesus, or um, there's a story in John 12 where Jesus has his feet washed or anointed by Mary Magdalene, and Judas sees her doing this with this really expensive perfume or ointment, and he says, "Why, why didn't we sell that off for the poor? But his motive was not the poor, but because he's a thief and he's been dipping into the money bag. And when Judas leaves, when they're in the middle of the meal, um, in, earlier in John chapter 13, um, he, all the disciples assume, oh, he's got the money back. He's going to buy supplies for the feast of the Passover that's happening the next day. Judas is always associated in the book of John with either his betrayal of Jesus or money. He's a greedy man. And it's sad because he's motivated by greed and gain in the end. When Jesus tells the disciples, I'm going to die I'm going to go away from you. What does Judas do in that moment? Judas decides it's time to cash out. I don't want to follow someone who's going to die. 
if I go turn him in, I'm going to get some money out of this. And so his ultimate motivation was not Jesus Messiah. His ultimate motivation was greed and wealth and gain. So Jesus said to them, this verse we just read, Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. Judas didn't just say the location, he led them to it. When Jesus said to them, this group, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And I just, I just want to stop you. This is one of those like goosebump moments when, when, you, when you read this. There's like, like at least 50 men, weapons, lanterns, torches. Jesus walks out to them. Who, who are you looking for? They answer, Jesus, and and he says, I am he. And they fall to the ground. They fall back. And and what you have to think is, in light of everything that is about to happen to him, the beatings, the floggings, the the eventual death, with two words, in the Greek, the two words are ego e me, I am. And it, it echoes back to the Old Testament where God called himself, I am. And Jesus, when he says, I am, There's a divine implication to it, but when he says that, the people cannot help but fall backwards. The whole rest of this story, keep that in mind, because with a word, he could have stopped everything that happens. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they recover, and they say, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go, speaking of his disciples. This was to fulfill the word that he, spoke, he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. At this point, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Now we're going to look at Peter in a minute for just a little bit and then a lot next week. But I want to point something out to you. If you think about, like, heroic movies, if it, there, there's always a scene where the one person's like, run, go, I'll hold them off. That's not what Peter's doing here. Peter waits until Jesus says, uh, hey, let them go, I'll come with you. And then Peter strikes. And he's using the element of surprise. And I think what he's doing, we're not told exactly what he's doing, but I think as I read through this passage and think about Peter's motivations in the book of John, I think what's happening here is when Peter strikes, his hope and prayer is, run, Jesus, I'm going to strike. They're going to be shocked. We're going to take off. We're going to get out of here. It's not, I'm going to lay down my life for you. It's, I'm going to cause a diversion so we can get away. We're going to look more at this in a moment. So after that, Jesus says, or Jesus goes with the band of soldiers. The band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. It's interesting, this other disciple um, does not reveal who he is until the very end of the book. It's John. It's the one who wrote this book. And so one really cool thing is that as we read forward, remember the author of this book was present through all of this. He is a firsthand eyewitness of what occurs. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Peter's first denial of Jesus While Peter is denying, Jesus inside is being questioned by the high priest. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. 
Jesus answered him, I have, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who, who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. What's interesting here, we talked about this when we talked about uh, the story of Jesus healing the blind man. In, in, in Jewish culture, there would be a trial when you were brought before the high priest. The high priest functioned as not just the religious authority, but also the political authority. They were the highest authority of the Jews. And so when he's brought forward, what Jesus is saying here is, you guys are bringing me up to trial. Where are the witnesses? I did all this out in the open. Where are the witnesses? And, and what do they do? At, at that point, the, what should have happened is they should have said, you're right, let's go get some witnesses. But instead, what happens, when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? So instead of responding to a simple question, hey, are we doing this the right way? He's struck. Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about it, about the wrong. So again, Jesus says, let's get some witnesses in here. Um, But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. There is no one who has truthful witness against Jesus, but they still send him to the next priest. During this time, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? Same exact question. He denied it again and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Peter was motivated by self-preservation. He wanted to keep his life. That's what motivates him in this story. He, and so real quick, an important thing. We're going to talk about Peter next week. And there's a lot of good that comes after the resurrection for Peter. But in this moment, John wants to show us that Peter was motivated by saving his own life. And, and what's even more sad, that same night, earlier in the night, when Jesus said what was about to happen, Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus said then, I, will you? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So when Peter strikes the servant, it might seem like he is doing so with the intent of, I'm going to fight and die for you, but we see that that is not the case. Peter was motivated by self-preservation. He wanted to save his own life. At that point, they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's quarters. Um, What's interesting here, when it says from the house of Caiaphas, he went from Annas to Caiaphas. We don't really see what happens when he goes to Caiaphas. We just go right to the governor's headquarters because what what we should assume is, well, Caiaphas says, all right, let's just get him right to the governor so we can get this guy killed. It was early morning, and the, the Jews, they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover they are early in the morning of at sunset that day will be the Passover. And for Jewish people in their tradition, um, if you entered the headquarters or, or the, the home or dwelling place of a, a Roman or, or a, Jew, a non-Jew, a Gentile, you would be considered unclean and you would have to go through a ritual cleansing. And so as they take an innocent man to get authority to have him killed, what do they do? They make sure that they would not be defiled. It's, it's, it's a joke. It's, it's insane that this is what they are focused on right now, but it is exactly what they are focused on. We want this man dead. We want to do it in a legal way. 
And at the, the same time, we're not going to step into this guy's headquarters so that we can eat the Passover and do our religious rites this evening. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? The Jews answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. They're delivering him. So he goes from Judas to the priest to the priest and now to Pilate. And note that he says, what, what accusation? What do they say? If he didn't do something wrong, we wouldn't have brought him here. They don't really answer the question, right? They just, well, oh, he did something wrong or else we wouldn't have brought him here. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Pilate says, I don't want anything to do with this. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful, us for, not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. The Jews want him killed. They have nothing to accuse him of, but they want him killed. And so they take him to Pilate because they, the Jewish people, are under Roman authority. And they don't have the right to kill him because only the Romans can exercise the death penalty. And so they want him killed and they want it to be in a way that is justified for them. So Pilate, he enters his headquarters again and he called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And what's interesting, that phrase, the king of the Jews, the Jews aren't calling him the king of the Jews, right? I mean, they, they're not like, here, Pilate, here's our king. We want you to put him to death. Well, what's happening here is we, we find out earlier in the book of John, when Jesus first enters the city, it's the triumphal entry, they're yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Pilate has heard about this. He has heard that Jesus is in the city. He does, this is his first interaction with him, but he has heard the very Jews that are now saying we want to kill him, hailing him as a king within a week of when this happens. So Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Jesus doesn't really answer, but he just says, is this, is this you talking or is this what they accuse me of? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. Your people and your priests, that, that your whole nation has delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus doesn't respond to what have you done. He responds to him being delivered. And what Jesus answered him with is, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. What's interesting, remember, Simon Peter struck the high priest's servant's ear. And so you might say, well, Jesus, your servants did start that. But what Jesus is saying in this passage is a much bigger idea. You see, as we read this passage, we're seeing the motivations of the world laid stark before us, the, the, the greed of Judas, the self-preservation of Peter. We're going to see more as we go, but Jesus in this moment is not talking about a physical location. He is talking about the values of the kingdom he is part of. Because if, if Jesus had the same values that people of this world had, when they went to kill him, what would Jesus have done? He would have spoken a word and everyone would have fallen over. He would have called an army of angels to his aid. He would, have, uh, he would have dominated in the way that people of this world expected. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, he did so on a donkey. And symbolically, a, a king entered a city on a donkey in times of peace. A king entered the city on a white horse in times of war. And, and when Jesus entered the city, he entered in peace. Not to come overthrow the Romans, he entered in order to save all humanity through his death on the cross. But, but in this, he's saying, if my kingdom were of this world, if my values match the values that this world has, well, I'd be fighting. But instead, 
I'm submitting. My kingdom is not from this world. Pilate said to him, so you are a king. That's what he got out of this. And Jesus responds, you say that I am a king. He never says yes. He just says, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world. Not talking about kingship, but here's my purpose, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus here is talking about his purpose, the the truth, uh, worshiping God in spirit and truth. We've talked about that. John talks about God as the truth over and over and over. And Jesus says this, and how does Pilate respond? Pilate says, what is truth? And church, I want to tell you, this is one of those moments that in in my past, I've always been like, wow, what a great moment. What is truth? In our modern society where everyone has their own truth, what a great verse. What is truth? But when you read this passage, what's interesting is Pilate doesn't really want Jesus to answer. He says, what is truth? It's like, what is truth? And then he walks away. Pilate does not care what truth is. He's like, they're accusing you of this. I don't know. I, I, I listen to you. I don't know. I, what is truth? And then he walks away. And what does he do? He goes back out to the Jews and he says, I find no guilt in him. He doesn't ask Jesus, tell me more about this truth. Instead, he says, I'm done with this. And he goes out, I find no guilt in him. So he says to the Jews, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And the Jews cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Now the Jews in this story, their motivation is to become dominant. Their motivation is to have power and to have power over others. The Jews were a people group that was oppressed under Roman rule. And, and what's interesting is this, this Barabbas, when it says he was a robber, what, what the actual Greek word there is, and if you have a Bible with footnotes, it always says, the word is insurrectionist. And what is an insurrectionist? It's someone that works to overthrow, topple, and be on top of. And the Jews in this story, Jesus, who is the king who comes in peace to take away the sin of the world, what do they want instead? They want the man who will help them topple the power over them so they can be on top. That's what they're crying out for when they say, we want Barabbas. They're saying, we want the one who will help us overpower you. Not, we want the one who will help us live right before God. The Jews are motivated by their desire to rule others, by their desire for power, by their desire to dominate. So Pilate, at this point, he, they don't want to release him. So Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Remember, he said, I find no guilt in this man, and now he has him flogged. And they put together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe and they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. That sounds like something you do to a man you find no guilt in. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And, and, and church, this moment, what, what Pilate's trying to do here is he's trying to appease. I don't want to kill this guy, but I want you guys to go away. Maybe this will do it. I'll, I'll, I'll beat this guy for you. I'll, 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 okay, and then maybe you guys will be okay and you'll be able to leave. So is this enough? Is what Pilate's saying here? And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him for I find no guilt in him. So Pilate here says, you know, you guys do it. And what's interesting is, is like at this point, they could just say, okay. Right? I mean, they could, but they don't. And we'll talk about that in a moment. 
they respond, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he had made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, and he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you know, not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Pilate says, can you just tell me something here? Because if you do, don't you know I have the power of your life or your death in my hands right now? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all. He doesn't say you don't have authority over me, but he says you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he, this is Judas, who delivered me over to you, has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Pilate sought to release him, and from what we just heard from what Pilate said, he had the authority to release him. But what we see about Pilate in this story is he is motivated by human approval. Pilate's goal in this story is to appease as many people as possible. And so in this moment, he has the choice of of Jesus, who he finds innocent, or appeasing the Jewish people that he rules over in Jerusalem as the Roman governor. And, And unfortunately, he doesn't follow him, like he doesn't release Jesus. He has that, I mean, fortunately for us today, because we know the rest of the story, but in this story, he sought human approval more than doing what was right. He ultimately cared more about that. So when Pilate heard these words, they were saying, if you do this, you oppose Caesar. He brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the six-hour midday, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. The priests are the rulers of the Jewish people. The priests are the political leaders of the Jewish people. The priests are the highest authority for Jewish people. And what do they say in the end? They say, we have no king but Caesar. And why? They're motivated in this story by self-justification. They will not enter the governor's, or governor's headquarters. Why? Because if they do that, they will be defiled. They will not directly be responsible for the death of Jesus in their own twisted eyes. Why? Because they want to remain justified and not have the blood of an innocent man on their hands. So they are saying, Pilate, this needs to be your decision. That's why when Pilate says, go do it yourselves, they say no. They want to remain justified in their own eyes in in a sick and twisted way because at the end of this story, they're trying to kill an innocent man because they don't like his values because they go against their own. It's a twisted story, and he is pointing them towards who God really is. He is God in the flesh, and their response to him is, we would rather be self-justified. We would rather live by our own definition of righteousness than follow after you, Jesus. And so because of that, they are motivated by self-justification to have this man killed and to pretend like it's not their fault he's being killed. This was Pilate's justification. We can still eat the Passover. We can still follow our religious rites because Pilate was responsible for this. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. 
And this, above all else, this, we have no king but Caesar. They are worshiping a king of the world over the God of the universe. And, and what they're saying here, the, the Jewish people chafed under Roman rule the entire time they were ruled over by the Romans. But here they are acknowledging Caesar as their king because if they worship him in this moment, they will be justified because it will be Caesar and Rome's fault that Jesus is killed. So Pilate delivered him over to them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. So we're, we're going to take a moment here to look at these motivations again. Remember, Judas was motivated by greed and gain, wealth. Peter was motivated by self-preservation, by, by the love of his own life. The Jews were motivated to become dominant, to become power over others. They wanted to go from being oppressed to being those in the position where they could oppress if they so desired. Pilate was motivated by human approval, to make others happy and to make them affirm his decisions. The, the priests were motivated by self-justification, righteousness in their own eyes. Well, Judas wound up getting rid of his money and took his life in 33-ish A.D., Shortly after Jesus died, Judas gave his money away and committed suicide. Peter, who was motivated by self-preservation, eventually died for his faith in Jesus in 68 AD, hung upside down on a cross. He would not die in the same way as his Lord. The Jews were motivated to become dominant, and they, they almost succeeded. Um, they tried overthrowing Rome, and at first it seemed like they succeeded, but by 70 AD, Jerusalem was just ransacked destroyed. Pilate was motivated by human approval, and less than four years later, he was removed and disgraced. And what's interesting is Pilate, who was motivated by human approval, um, there are different, historians have different takes on what happened to him. He either was killed or committed suicide while awaiting some type of trial in Rome for being an incompetent leader who, it seems, bent to the whims of the people. The priests were motivated by self-justification. And the center of the priest's world, the temple in Jerusalem, when they tried overthrowing Rome, that temple was destroyed in 70 AD. John was written in 85 AD. This is really important because when, when the author John wrote this passage and had these five motivations put on display as we approach the crucifixion of Jesus... He knows that his audience is aware of most of these things. They may not be aware of details, but in the day they lived in, everyone was aware of the destruction of the second temple in Jerusalem. Everyone was aware, aware of that. So, so as their original audience would, would have been listening to this from John, one of the disciples, as they would have been listening to this, they would have known that all of the things that these people chased after ended in nothing. The people who passed Jesus person to person, ultimately delivering him to be crucified. What did they gain from it? Nothing. They all lost in the end what they had hoped for. I'm going to quickly read through the rest of the passage because the good news is it doesn't end there. There they crucified him and with two others, one on either side, Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answers, What I have written, I have written. No one's really happy with how Jesus is killed, even though they all just want him killed. 
Um, and the soldiers, out of this, they, they take Jesus' clothing. And so what do they do as they're crucifying Jesus? As he's up on the cross, they're splitting his garments. And this fulfills scripture. And, and as the soldiers did these things, um, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Even as she loses a son, she remained faithful with him to the end, and, and he gives her a new son in that. I always think that's cool. And, and after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, and he said this to fulfill scripture, I thirst. And so they bring him a jar of sour wine. And they stood there and they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And that is the moment he died. But to me, this is the coolest thing I have seen in the Bible in recent weeks as I've been studying for this. When Jesus died on the cross, we see in John 18 and 19 that his spirit is delivered from person to person, from authority to authority. But in the end, when Jesus is up on that cross, when it is time, when it is finished, when he is done, it is Jesus who gave up, who delivered his spirit. Through this whole story, it has seemed like others are in control and like Jesus is just a part of what is happening. But we know that's not true. But in the end, what we see, it is not by the authority of those on this earth that Jesus gave up his life. He willingly submitted to what the Father had for him, submitted to these earthly authorities, and ultimately he delivered his spirit. And I, I just, that thought to me just comes crashing down that in that final moment, Jesus is still in control. And that just hits me so hard because when you think about that, his sacrifice on our behalf, at no point in time, was it outside his control? When he says it is finished, remember at the start of this, he says, I am, and everyone falls over. His final words are not to stop it, but to complete it. And Jesus did that as we saw last week and as we've seen through this whole series. Jesus died so that we might have eternal life, so we could be made holy before a holy God, so we could know him and have a relationship with him, so we could believe in him and come to know him relationally. That was his desire. And so when he delivered up his own spirit, he did it with that in mind, that we would have eternal life. And John, I, we're not Greek. Um, I can't even speak Greek. I can just read it, and mostly I have to have a Bible software I have. But, but for John's original audience, when they would have heard this passage, it, over seven times, paradidomai, paradidomai, or parad, paradukin is how it is some of the times, which sounds like a street fighter move. But when we come to this final time, when he says, and bowed his head and gave up his spirit, paradidomai, when he says it there, I cannot imagine that anyone listening would do anything but fall back amazed at what Jesus has done in this moment because it was by Jesus and his own authority that he finished and accomplished his work. It was not the work of human worldly powers that did it to him. It was by his own motivation that we could follow after him. It was by his motivation to do the work that his father had given him, to drink the cup that his father had given him. That was Jesus' ultimate motivation. And I want to challenge you today to think, what are your motivations? Do you seek after those lesser things? Wealth, self-preservation, power, 
self-influence, self-justification. If, if that's what you seek after, take, take heed from this story. Be warned. <laughs> because, because in this story, John makes it clear that all of those motivations that we have in this life have an expiration date. But what we see next week, I will spoil it a little bit, Jesus raises from the dead. Um, hopefully you all know that already. Um, but, but Jesus raises from the dead, and we see what happens as he brings new life to the world. And he desires that we would have that. When he gave up his spirit, it was that we might have that eternal life with him forever. And that is a free offer to each and every person who hears and responds to the gospel of Jesus. So I, I want to challenge you to live by that same motivation that Christ lived by, that he lived for his Father and laid down his life for us, live in the same way that he lived. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that we might have life and have it in you and have it to the full. We thank you that as we open your word, it is just so amazing. It is living. It reveals to us who you are more and more. And I, I, I pray, Lord, that um, I, I pray if anyone here does not know you and, and does not have a relationship with you, has not received that eternal life, I pray they would not leave here today without asking questions. I, I pray they would come find me or someone else, uh, that they would not leave today without learning more about you and, and the free gift you offer. And, and we thank you so much that Jesus submitted to the point of death. He was obedient to what you had for him, and he delivered his own spirit that we would have a chance at life. We thank you that we can live in that truth, that we have hope um, in this life and the next because of what Jesus has done. And, and we, we pray as we leave here that, that we would look more and more like Jesus, that we would look more and more like your son, that we would live with the same motivation that he lived with, that we would follow after you, and we would set aside wicked earthly motivations and, and fleeting things to follow after what, what truly matters. What, and and I, I thank you so much for what Jesus did and that, that we can just live inside that truth, that we can have peace before you and in this world because of that gift. It's in your name we pray. Amen.